You're listening to Almost Diplomatic, DC-based podcast that discusses geopolitics, national security, a whole bunch of nonsense over beers. And as a disclaimer, the views and comments made during this episode are those of the participants and do not represent any entity that they volunteer with or are employed by. Enjoy! Hey everybody, welcome to Almost Diplomatic. I'm your host, Ryan Young, and joining me tonight is... Lex Cardone. And Robert Thomas. And we're recording on November 17th, 2020. So we're back. I feel like I, feel like I haven't been on with you guys in a while. I mean, I don't know. We did, we did Caucuses one with Lex, and then Rob, I don't know when you've been on last. Yeah, we've, mm. we've been trying to duck you for a while. You finally caught us. Yeah, I know. Suckers. <laughs> yeah, you got desperate. <laughs> yeah yeah it's only been a couple years of this is it's just a couple, couple years more will be fine how do you like to describe it it's like hurting cats with us sometimes uh yeah it definitely is that's why we're doing this on a tuesday night yeah. you know part of it i guess because you had so many other exciting things going on with your tuesday speaking of so i just got a text from kevin <laughs> same anyway. name <laughs> he who shall not be named for yeah. Uh, yeah, abandoning us. Um, hold on, I gotta, now I gotta silence my phone because we stop. Getting uh, all of the memes all at once. I don't know. I saw something about Stalin, so who knows what it is. I'm sure Kevin well, has a hear- wealth of Stalin memes. Yeah, if you hear any occasional wails on my end, um, I. Says no one is in pain, and I didn't find my long lost child here in San Diego. There's a, a baby staying with us, so um, I'll, I'll try to mute my mic when it hap- when it happens. But uh, you know, fingers crossed. I mean, it's much more suspicious after you said something. I'm just saying. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I was just gonna say that a an upset baby crying would still be much more coherent and uh, a more useful input to these kinds of conversations than most of the punditry we have these days. Sure. I'll, I'll invite him on next week. Yeah. It used to be better when we would get drunk before. Now we just kind of sort of drink. We, we ease our way into it like the old men that we are. Yeah, pretty much. COVID has aged us. But anyway, um, we're going to be talking about France tonight for the most part. Kind of all things been happening there recently. But before we get into that, as always, what's everybody drinking? Uh, Lex, you go ahead. I am drinking a Pliny the Elder. Uh, it's a from Russian River Brewing Company. Um, I think it's in Sonoma, I want to say. It's a double IPA, and it's really delicious. Um, I would give it a 5 out of 5. Nice. Yeah. Rob? Well, I am drinking a bourbon barrel-aged Cabernet Sauvignon from Behringer Brothers, uh, nice. which is pretty smooth and tasty so far. Good, good. And I'm drinking Virginia Pale Ale. Basically, they combine they they combined Virginia and India for the make it a v, VIPA. Really? Yeah, it's a stupid fucking name. It's from Hardywood Brewery and uh, from Richmond, but uh, I like their style. They usually this is a pretty solid beer. That's good. I I like their brewery. I am very disappointed in their choice of name. Yeah, yeah. you, you take off a star for name just because it's so bad, <laughs> or it's you just, just deal with it. It's 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 V I R G I N D I A, Virginia. It's just 
Please stop repeating it. I, I, it hurts a little bit inside every time I hear it. It's just like I'm not. I'm never gonna not call Virginia Virginia in your presence now. It's just like, at what meeting did they decide like, this is a good idea. This is definitely a good idea. It was after they were well into tasting the product. Yeah, it's good though. Anyway, so what brings us here tonight is talk about France for the most part. Well, I we talked about some other stuff, other countries, but um, it's kind of been a, they've had a spate a, a spat in terrorist attacks the last couple of months. It kind of it was you know for the most part pretty peaceful in regards to that. Uh, it's been a couple of years since it really has been as bad as it was. Um, but late September began at some guy decided he was going to try to stab people in front of uh, the Char- where Charlie Hebdo magazine used to be. They you know the guys who did put the who published the um, Prophet Muhammad cartoons and uh, twenty and they were, and they were attacked in 2015. It's the same time period when those people are, who did that attack are being you know um, being tried you know in in court. So it's kind of all coming together. Then a week after that, a um, a history professor or history professor history teacher at a middle school was beheaded for showing uh, the prophet cartoons in his class to kind of show, you know, um, it it was a freedom of expression yeah uh, lesson mm-hmm. yeah and then um after that there was a, a three people were stabbed to death in Nice uh, and it's kind of just gone from there. And the big reason it's kind of come up is because of the Prophet cartoons, uh, Prophet Muhammad cartoons that have kind of emerged, uh, you know, it's become an issue once again, even though it's been kind of not heavily talked about the last couple of years, at least like, at least been covered in the news. Yeah, but it gets, it's, I think it's, I mean, it may not be something with COVID and the election and the fuckery that is 2020 on the headlines. It's not something that a lot of people are paying attention to on this side of the Atlantic, but it does kind of get into the, a lot of the discussions we've been having in this country um, this year, namely, you know, what is free speech? What is hate speech? Where's the line between the two? What's appropriate for public discourse? Where do governments step in or should not step in and how that impacts both um, societal relationships on a domestic level and, as we see in the very frosty relationship between Emmanuel Macron, Emmanuel Macron, and uh, President um, Erdogan in Turkey and their respective uh, countries, and how that impacts that. Right. I mean, the the problem of terrorism is certainly not unique to any particular country, uh, and this is far from the uh, most substantial uh, eruption of violence that we've seen in France or in Europe uh, in the last couple of decades. But it is a, a distinct case that warrants its own attention because of the some of the broader questions in the domestic situation uh, in France that this gives an opportunity to dig into, as well as the position of, of France internationally. Uh, its uh, web of relationships, whether it's with its um, post-colonial um, ties to uh, different countries in Africa or it's butting up against Turkey, uh, a fellow NATO member, uh, is is a distinct dynamic all of its own. Yeah. Not to mention its very specific history right across the water in Algeria, um, 
the colonial history there. So, and that's kind of been um, when you talk when you talk to Muslims about the relationship between France and the Islamic world, Algeria is typically the first example they point to in terms of where things went wrong. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been heavily. I mean, they, it was a colony and was part of France for many years, and then they wanted their independence, and then they eventually got it. And then, I mean, I think right now there's like five million Muslims in France. It's, it's the largest Muslim population in Europe uh, by far. Mm-hmm. And you know, France is also one of the most secular countries in the world. So it's become there's been this kind of this clashing of ideas almost that kind of emerged, especially the last couple of years with the emergence of the Islamic State. Right. Well, and I, two things that are especially distinctive about that domestic situation. One is that the Muslim population in France is not only large compared to other European countries, there are also a lot of uh, issues with how how well integrated they are economically, uh, culturally, and so forth. They're, they're there's a very, very large proportion of the Muslim population that's uh, shunted into poorer neighborhoods and towns um, and really are set apart from much of the rest of French society. And that's tied, I think, to the the kind of unique model of secularism in France, laïcité, which is very, very different from separation of church and state here in the United States uh, or equivalent versions elsewhere in Europe, it's uh, a a much more distinct attempt to limit the presence of religion in the public sphere at all. Um, Even individual expressions of religious faith or practice. Yeah. So things like the, um, the headscarf ban, that was in the news a couple of years ago and going further back. Um, I know that there were issues with um, Orthodox Jews, you know, wearing the yarmulke or um, visible uh, representations of religious belief is something that almost uniquely in France is frowned upon. Well, yeah, not I mean, just frowned upon in, in many cases. Banned. Banned. Yeah. Uh, right. I mean, any sort of religious symbol uh, is, is banned in schools and not, the school posting it, a, an individual student right. uh, wearing any sort of religious iconography, for example, uh, can be forced to remove it. Uh, yeah. And so when then, you have a, when you this, have a significant, I'm sorry, go ahead, Rob. I was just going to say that then particular uh, cases like uh, the hijab and, and veils have been banned just out in public generally. Uh, so that's quite a far cry from uh, the just hands-off approach uh, that you have in certain other countries. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it really stems from, I mean, just to highlight it a little bit, it stems from, like, France wanting to lessen the influence of the Catholic Church in France following, like, the revolution and everything yeah. else. Yeah, it goes back to the revolution, but it's kind of become... Um, part of this French Republican ideal that exists to this day. And since you have a lot of significant minority uh, of people coming from places where religion is not separated into a box, it's part of the culture. It's in many cases, it's part of the government. Um, That's a pretty jarring transition. Um, The trick is, but at the same time, I mean, you, you, you 
you, you you've got to empathize with those people but at the same time you know france i think deserves to be um to have its own system and to have its own way so it's it's it the, the challenges of integration into that um are pr are pretty pretty big and no one's i don't think anybody's figured out the right way to go about it yet well i mean it's a a point of heated debate uh, as well um there's an increasing level of, of pushback on laicite in in france from certain uh from certain quarters and and not always just uh from from immigrants or religious minorities um but at the same time you have sort of a doubling down response from a lot of uh folks in positions of political leadership macron himself um has been quite vocal uh, in drawing a very, very hard line in defense of laicite. Uh, and there's been a lot of uh, rhetoric that he's used recently about um, Islamist separatism, for example, uh, that's kind of stoked this, uh, this set of issues from, from its own angle. So it's, it's a, again, none of these issues of uh, terrorism or immigration and uh, cultural integration and pluralism are unique to France by any means. But the particular policy structure and the history behind it is. Um, so it's it's sort of a compare an interesting comparative case to look at alongside other European uh, countries or relative to places like the U.S. and Canada. Yeah, has has Macron been too aggressive with his statements? I guess mean, been he's been kind of he's been he's been getting hit left and right from uh, especially the Muslim world like, and and Erdogan in particular. But Erdogan him have had like their issues with each other for the last couple of years, especially with recent uh, issues in the Eastern Mediterranean. Yeah, I um before I I mean it's you can take one way or the other, but the fact of the matter is the majority of the French people have kind of lined up behind him in this in term. I think. I mean, it, a few years ago, images of the prophet um, publishing a lot of I mean, a lot of people were obviously very much pro free speech. We should allow everything. You know, France is a secular society. But there was also a significant amount of people who said, you know, wait a minute, let's not inflame the situation just for the sake of trolling, so to speak. Um, you know, speech has consequences and um, we need to be aware of that. But now it seemed I, I guess the number is what, 70 percent. Um, approve of macron's handling of the situation is that the yeah uh, i think it, yeah. it's something like that so it's it's pop it's it's a good move for him domestically um that what it I, i'm not sure it allows an off-ramp because erdogan specifically and i mean of of all the muslim leaders or leaders of muslim states he's kind of positioned himself at the head of this one and he's known for his um outspoken braggadocio whatever you want to call it so he's not there's there's no off-ramp on his end um, when there's i mean there are two layers to that question of a of an off-ramp as well uh, there's a there's a domestic one and an international one i mean on a, on a domestic one i mean we've we've talked about the fact that as i as i keep repeating none of these these core issues about um, religious and cultural pluralism and immigration and, and integration and all that, none of those are unique to 
to France, but they're also not going away either in France or anywhere else. These are long-term things for societies to grapple with. And, and the consequences of how different places do or don't handle all of that include things like, like terrorism and political violence, but, but stretch broader into questions of, uh, politi- political stability, economic well-being, economic inequality, all kinds of things. And so one, one layer of this is just, is the way that, um, this is being handled domestically, uh, in France's case, a recipe for success in improving integration and handling of pluralism, or might it further entrench some of these problems? Um, Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. In the short term, at least, it's, I think it's only paying dividends for Macron. And conversely, it's also paying dividends domestically for um, Erdogan, um, you know, riling people up. Yeah. Uh, It does throw a wrench in the whole idea of can we find some sort of solution that would allow France to remain its secular French self without continuing to alienate this large segment of the population. Um, I I don't know. It's, it seems like domestically in France right now, any sort of concession uh, to the Muslim community or the religious community or the, even the, those who don't support Lassite would be bad politically. Only put it to you in this way is, is France, the cause of its attacks or is the victim of its attacks? Because there's been an argument that they're causing more radicalization by having things like the prophet and that kind of stuff. Like we, we've like, just like reading, reading up in the last week or so, getting ready for this, tons of articles were describing their teachers having interviews and they're like, oh, you know, this one student threatened to kill me. Or it's like this student said that, you know, after the Charlie Hebdo attacks, like that was okay for that to, that to happen because they, 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 you know, defame the prophet and that kind of stuff. And it's kind of like, because you, you, you see these other, I mean, the original cartoon was in was in a, I think in the Netherlands, um, or maybe it was the Danes or somewhere in Denmark, maybe. Denmark, yeah. There's been other places where they have you know, done cartoons of the prophet and not had these issues, you know, as strong as France. I mean, France also has like again that larger population, and the secularism is a whole thing. But is France hitting himself in the foot while they're doing this? Because it seems like it's it's almost unnecessary in my mind to a certain extent. When you've got uh, a, I mean, you've got to make a, a distinction here. I think, like, there's a frontline moral question, um, which I think is pretty straightforward, which is that the victims of of any act of terrorism are victims, and the perpetrators of any act of terrorism, no matter what the the consequent or what the circumstances are, they are criminals. They are the the villains uh, at a, a very fundamental level, and there's no getting around that. Um, and that's a very, I think, straightforward moral judgment. But there's a different question about when when you're translating into big picture, long term policy issues, uh, you're you're stepping into a m- much more complex, much bigger realm than individual moral assessment of individual incidents and is the policy response increasing or reducing risks is it helping more people or hurting more people that's a different set of questions 
than the the immediate moral one. Yeah, I mean, I guess the, the your point, I think, it makes. I mean, it's obviously makes a lot of sense, and it's uh, correct. I think it's like it's one of those things where okay. I was probably going to do an attack anyway, but I'm using this as my justification for doing said attack, so on and so forth. Because, like, yeah. it's all smart enough because like, Charlie had to republish the our, the cartoon uh, in October or whatever, or late, late September. Um, and, like, that kind of sparked everything and that kind of kicked everything off, at least, like, the notice him in at least some of these attacks. But it's like, um, you know, I, the British were looking at this and, like, oh, man, like, you know, they think there was the new... Uh, new person running mi5 essentially was like there's like ten thousand or so sympathizers because of the stuff like this that may maybe they're not going to do an attack themselves or materially support it but you know they they don't condone it yeah this it's interesting to me because like this points not just to a divide between just a significant divide between you know the french population and the you know, I hate to go all like East versus West here, but the like the European population and the you know population of the Muslim world, where if this were to happen in any major Muslim country, the government would step in and shut it down. And so when somebody comes out um, in a Western country and and says this stuff, there's an assump- there's a Arab street level assumption that you know this is if not allowed directly you know allowed um by the government of this of the country um it was at least condoned um whereas you know to in ideal circumstances in a, a liberal democracy the government isn't um approving or denying people the right to speak um however inflammatory it may be um so people blame you know it's just interesting to me that there's still this disconnect between, you know, people burning French flags and, you know, boycotting French goods. Like the government is responsible for what this little rinky dink satirical magazine put out. Well, and it's not necessarily unique to uh, this particular set of dynamics, though. I mean, you, you see all kinds of cases uh, in other parts of the, the world um, where there will be some some issue that will happen that will will be either the fault of a of a particular government policy or of a particular private actor in uh, a given country, and people elsewhere will respond by boycotting anyone and everything that happens to come from that country. Uh, just kind of a paint everyone with a broad brush backlash. Yeah. Uh, so it's. Certainly not unique uh, to to this particular set of dynamics. Mm-hmm. It's you know it's not unique, but it does seem particularly pronounced um, when this kind of thing every so often rears its ugly head. Yeah. But I, I I do think at a domestic level there's a there's a a difference sometimes between being being right and being prudent um and i i'm a pretty staunch freedom of speech absolutist (laughs) um i i I don't stand for uh much by way of restrictions on uh on on private speech whether by individuals or by organizations um 
and the idea of using violence to respond to someone saying something that you don't like or even that you find deeply fundamentally offensive to your your most important convictions uh, the idea of responding with violence uh, to that is i think unjustifiable yeah which is but, why i don't sorry go ahead. but at a level of prudence the fact the fact that that moral line is very clear doesn't mean that it is wise or helpful to go out of your way to antagonize um, and that line of prudence is i think what's really at, at issue here both both by private actors um, in making decisions about what to what to publish uh, in some cases, uh, but also by government actors in, well, exactly how do you respond to some of these issues and what policy uh, moves do you put in place? I mean, in the last uh, 10, 20 years, as uh, France has cracked down on uh, private religious expression in schools, for example, that may be consistent with the policy of laicite, but it's also led to a large uptick in Muslim students being withdrawn from public schools and going to private religious schools uh, instead, further undermining the opportunity for integration. Um, and from a prudential level, that's probably not helpful. No, not yeah. at all. I mean, I mean, you've seen, I mean, that's the thing that you're seeing is like, you know, the pulling out of schools and that kind of stuff. We're like, you know, it's be like, okay, we're going to show the profits. So if you want to go leave, sit outside class and then you see all the teachers or all the parents like, per, you know, protesting this or like, are, are, you know, complaining about it to the teachers, like you can't show the profit in your class. So that kind of stuff. And like, it's, it's becoming such a, I mean, it's a kind of widespread issue with Muslim, like and again, it's all poor neighborhoods that they got to put in. I don't know where I was going with this. There's something good, but I, I actually, but the thing is, like, um, who who had a, a good point? It was uh, CC from Egypt. Yeah, you know, the great wow. dictator that he is was like, you know, freedom of expression should stop if it offends more than 1.5 billion people. What? Because <laughs> the 1.5 million billion muslims in the world yeah so that's like that was his point he made hmm. he's also a dictator so you take everything with a grain of salt yeah i, don't uh, I thought you were going to redeem cc in my eyes just there but he just but nope. i mean no <laughs> nope still yeah, a jackass he doesn't yeah. have great street cred on the whole concept of rights freedoms or rule of law so right it's probably more of a domestic move for him to make a statement anyway yeah he had to say something he didn't like he doesn't I mean, it's one because like the um, what's interesting about the one of the many things that's interesting about the Muslim population in France is beyond the whole colonialism aspect. A lot of French Muslims and non-French Muslims were very uh, or who had maybe spent time in France, either living there for a time or studied there. Um, a lot of those people were kind of were very much involved in the initial birth of political islam in this century a lot of the founding member, members of the muslim brotherhood um have connections here and there to um you know fr france whether through its colonial empire or through you know living in, in france itself so you it, this stuff goes all the way back um to the beginning of france's uh relationship with islam well 
technically the beginning of France's relationship with Islam goes uh, well, well prior to the uh, colonial period. Shut up, nerd. Crusades and all that. Well, I was stuff. talking about the uh, the uh, attempted push from Iberia up into France ah, during the early uh, okay. Muslim conquests. Gotcha. Well, it goes and, back. Well, but that is actually, I think, not just a trivial me being a nerd point. <laughs> um, there is there's Isn't an important no, no there's an important sense in which much of European identity has been for over a thousand years framed by the distinctions involved in the relationship between a Christian or post-Christian Europe and a Muslim world adjacent to it in the Middle yeah. East and North Africa. And that that plays into a lot of the self-concept uh, of of different countries in in Europe, including France, uh, there's yeah, a, a there's a there there are, I think some different layers to how religious pluralism and uh, ethnic and cultural integration play out in a, a European country, especially f uh, one like France that has sort of been on a on a borderline uh, at some point in history with respect to Islam or or with respect to uh, predominantly Muslim areas, different set of issues than would be in play if you were talking about, say, a similarly large population of Hindu or Buddhist uh, immigrants and, and their sort of status in France or, or another country. There's, there's a whole web of history and cultural assumptions uh, in play on both sides. Yeah, because that's something that's pretty apparent with Spain, but I, I forgot it went all. I mean, it the um, initial Muslim armies got up to southern France, Bordeaux, that area. So yeah, there's uh, people don't forget, I guess. <laughs> well, and even if they they don't consciously remember the specific historical no, it, events, it becomes baked. It, it's into played into memory. all kinds of narratives right. um, in layers and layers over over the centuries. Yeah. So, uh, pulling it back a little bit, what should they do about the schools then? I mean, at least, at least in that case, because you can't, they obviously can't be in the place like we can't stop Charlie Hebdo from publishing the cartoon again and again and again if they want to. Um, but couldn't they, or that would that be breaking too much of a secular strategy if they decided to like, we're not going to show the profit in schools anymore. It doesn't matter as part of whatever class. Is that, I mean, that's like, I, I say an easy fix. I don't mean an easy fix, a simple fix, because obviously there's a whole list of baggage on both, on every side when you, it comes to censoring, like censoring yeah. what goes on in the classroom. But like beyond that, though, the idea of engaging, I mean, I, I don't know the answer to the question. You, you just said I'm not an expert in education policy or um, French, the French education system, but the idea, the the point that Rob brought up earlier, you know, the people are, or I, I, maybe it was you, Ryan, I'm sorry. Um, a lot of Muslims are feeling that, you know, the French secular education is not, um, you know, is not for them. And that just 
you know, because school-aged children are at their most impressionable. They're the, that's that those years set the stage for, you know, the adults, the future adults going forward and the society at large. So is there a way to integrate, you know, I don't know, are religious studies a, uh, a feature of the French schooling system? Is there some, I mean, is, or is that, you know, uh, I, feel, I feel like the answer is no. From like, like a purely academic perspective, not like, yeah. Yeah. I mean like, well, kind of like, into that like so i went to catholic school um and all my, we had, I had a bunch of religion classes we had to take and all of them were about more about other religions that were about catholicism actually so it was really kind of learned more about yeah learn about islam learn about judaism and some others so it was that it was kind of taught in that kind of you know, i can't imagine that that's very significant in a french public school especially a public school in a um majority muslim neighborhood i don't know yeah, I it's it's just like the issue I'm seeing is that you know we which we we've seen I mean France is one of the most populous you know or the most Islamic state fighters came from I think France then Brussels and it's, yeah yeah the the assimilation is like kind of the at least for children is like is taught at the school level and they weren't being assimilated correctly or they just they didn't feel what they're because like it's a place to teach people how to become this might be from poland or spain or wherever else you know you're going to come here and become french and becoming french means you're a citizen you know and it's kind of very like starship troopers like be a citizen <laughs> service guarantees citizenship yeah the idea i mean i forgot to bring that up the 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 contingent of fighters that ended up in iraq and syria from france were both very uh, sizable and notorious in how they conducted themselves. Um, so you got to ask what incubated that type of uh, person. Well, and you, you also have to step back. I mean, if you if you want to talk about what policy steps or what other kinds of uh, actions are needed to improve integration or assimilation or whatever word you're you're using to define your goal, you need to you need to actually not just pick a word, but define what do you mean uh, by integrating people or by assimilating people or whatever. What's the actual end state of that? Uh, well, I think, and, and that's friend. different in different in different places depending on who you ask. And I think it's it's important for any country that is dealing with a lot of immigration from different societies to ask careful questions about what is what is a successful process and a successful outcome look like for having people from somewhere else come into our country and become truly part of of this society and feel welcome and invested and truly part of it and be perceived by people who have lived here their entire lives as truly part of it yeah. Uh, just as much. What is what does that actually look like? Because that that fundamental question is the starting point for figuring out what what policy proposals and what other non governmental steps will get you to that outcome. Well, it's kind of a two way street in my mind. I like I it, to really distill it down. I would say it's the belief that you know if you're coming from somewhere else, you believe um in the system uh you know and 
um, you know, your role in the system, but you also believe in your um, what the the given the give and take, so to speak. That you you know you're here, you believe in um, the state or the system, but it also um, clearly has a role for you and how you want to. And you don't. So it's basically um, solidarity without conformity. You know, not expecting too much, but finding a way for um, middle ground to, to finding a way for somebody to meet in the middle. Um, I don't know. Well, that's that's one possible direction for an answer. But I think part of the challenge is it's. This isn't an issue on which there's any sort of consensus uh, within individual countries, let alone across them. Yeah. I mean, in, in the United States, we also still have. uh pretty substantial divides depending on who you ask about what does what does it mean to be an american and then to if you are born elsewhere to become an american that's not something that we have a any sort of consensus on even though sometimes we assume that there is a consensus when we're used to talking with people in our own social bubbles about that question uh and and that's that question looks a little different here than it does in in France, but it's a live question both places. Yeah, there's definitely no clean or perfect answer. Um, I think the best you can expect in that situation is adequate. <laughs> you know, when the, when a fair deal is made, both sides walk away feeling like they got robbed. Um, so, yeah, it's it's uh, it's something that's for sure. I mean, I doubt there's going to be any kind of real solving this issue. I guess they're just probably just going to, like, they're going to double down and basically just say, we're going to keep doing what we're going to do. And uh, people don't like it, they can get over it, I guess. I mean, at least the foreseeable future, I doubt they're going to be like, okay, we're going to cease showing the profit in schools or, or public spaces, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, like, ideally, you'd look at, oh, there's going to be some national reckoning um, in France on, like, welcoming um, different, you know, beliefs and modes or modes of belief and culture systems and all that and on the flip side um you know a recognition within the indigenous or um the french muslim community you know violence is never the answer even when you feel insulted or um but like i mean uh, this a lot of this gets down to just emotion raw human emotion um which is i think what's behind a lot of the violence um, whether you want to talk about the Islamist terrorism in France or right-wing terrorism all over Europe, um, yeah, like ha- you can you, you can think about this to death and use logic until your eyes and ears bleed. But um, understanding the role of emotion and specifically the emotion of anger in human relationships and societal relationships is something that um, it's a uh, as I said, the best you could probably get out of it is an adequate situation, not a perfect one. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I don't know. Like it, it's 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 really it's kind of calmed down. There hasn't been at least an attack in France in um like a month, I think. Mm-hmm. This is kind of just slowly kind of boiled over, I guess. Or I mean, as, as stuff comes, I mean, there it keeps coming. Charlie Hebdo thing keeps coming back around. So I mean, when it does again, we could see more. Um, you know, it kind of it's up in the air how people are going to respond. Because, mo- like you said, like, most people like are just like not about the violence, but they're they're pissed as fuck about the cartoon. 
Yeah, that was the only thing that I mean. You, you, what, what, there was um, I don't know focus groups of like everybody, both whether you believe that you should be free to make fun of whoever you want, and draw pictures of the prophet, or you believe that it's insulting and awful. The vast majority of people condemned the violence. Um, so that and that that was the comp. I mean, maybe build off that, maybe use that as a common jumping off point. Okay, we don't agree on much but at least there's this maybe we work to diffuse this single issue the the issue of political violence um how we can come to an agreement you know assimilating or um allowing space for a french muslim identity i don't know that's a different question but um as like rob as you said earlier the, the you know killing somebody because you feel offended even if you feel disrespected is never the proper solution and i think most reasonable people agree to that but again emotion is not logical so well emotion and and reasoning bleed into each other in complicated ways but yeah i mean it is it is worth noting that uh, france has a much larger muslim population than uh, much of the rest of europe but uh if you had a genuinely substantial proportion of uh, the five million Muslims in France actually supporting or engaging in, in political violence. Uh, it would be a dramatically worse and dramatically different picture uh, yeah. than than it actually is with these awful, but in the big scheme of things, still. Uh, proportionately smaller scale uh, incidents of terrorism. This is not the situation in uh, in France today is not um, the Algeria crisis. Right. Uh, no. God. Yeah, by, we, by any means. Yeah. It. Um, and, well, but that's a testament to the fact that the vast majority of, of French Muslims, whatever problems uh, may exist with integration, um, are not proponents of political violence. Yeah, and you look at this, um, despite the recent headlines, the um, the casualties due to jihadist terrorism has dropped significantly in the past few years. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's 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 an issue, and it's something we need to keep talking about, but it's not, yeah, you're right. If, if this was a, if the entire, if this was a popular, even a reasonably popular opinion amongst the French Muslim population, we'd have an insurgency. <laughs> So it's far from that. Yeah. All right. We're running down on time. Is anyone, it was that everyone's final thought, I guess. Uh, or, well, I guess my, my last one, if we're looking to run down would be, um, we ended up focusing pretty strongly on the, on the domestic element, uh, which I think will be a slow, a slow, um, muddled issue to sort through, uh, for the the French people, whatever their religious uh, and ethnic backgrounds, but the international side of of this, the way that um, these domestic issues have gotten connected to spats between uh, two NATO members, uh, for example, um, and have have tied in international relationships in important ways, or have as as we discussed involved. Um, recruitment for international terrorism um with folks going over and joining isis for example 
Uh, a lot of these international layers to the problem are, I think, likely to be more changeable and fast moving in a lot of ways than the the slow but deep domestic stuff that continues to be tricky and continues to need sorting through. Yeah, it's this. I, I wish we had more time to get into that. Um, but yeah, this uh, it does seem that the international element um, the relationships between France and Turkey, on the most part, but also France and or Europe in the wider um, Islamic world. Um, this stuff is going to keep happening, but I don't see it. Um, I mean, there's going to be differences. There's going to be misunderstandings. There's going to be, you know, bad actors. But it's I think that both France and Turkey specifically have a lot more to gain by cooperation. And that's not just a cliche. I mean, right now, France is talking about um, putting a big push behind EU sanctions on Turkey, uh, which and their economy is already pretty much crippled anyway. So this would be catastrophic for them. Um, Turkey is talking about pulling out of the agreement with uh, the refugee uh, agreement. So you can see that the um, the refugee issue of a couple of years ago, which has obviously still been going on, but um, that could be a problem again. So they both have ways um, to harm each other and themselves. And the best hope that you can have is that there's some sort of rapprochement. Yeah. Just to clarify, though, it's uh, they're Turkey and France are getting pissy over their uh, Turkey's treatment of Greece. <laughs> yeah, that's. But this, <laughs> so this is just. It's, it's, not, it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not ruling over the car, the cartoon or anything. It's, it's a problem they're having at it. They're you know all that kind of stuff like we mentioned before, but it's mostly based on things. And Turkey is also the worst NATO ally. I'm just saying for my own personal record. We're, that, we're out of time. So uh, that was almost nomadic. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thank you.